Welcome to Fine Art Fiona, a podcast which shares my conversations with the many artists, curators, collectors and gallerists I meet on my art travels who, like me, have a passion for art. My name is Fiona McIntosh. Today's conversation is with Nicholas Smith, owner-director of Sydney's newest contemporary art gallery, the eponymously named N. Smith Gallery in Paddington. Our conversation takes place across Gadigal and Camaragal lands, and I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of both lands and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Nicholas is excited and humbled to be representing some wonderful artists, some of whom are gaining considerable reputations with curators and collectors and others who are embarking on their careers. Nonetheless, in these uncertain COVID times, Nicholas's decision to start his own gallery is brave. The gallery was scheduled to open the week Sydney locked down due to COVID, so for its first four months, it was a wholly online entity. I spoke with Nicholas during this time. His commitment to his artists and gallery speaks to his belief in the importance of art to offer moments of reflection and to bring optimism in tough times. Hi, Nick. Welcome to Fine Art Fiona. Thanks so much for joining me this morning. Thanks for having me. The last time we met in person uh, was actually in the new gallery space uh, with the renovations almost finished and gearing up for you to open with your first show. It's such a beautiful building with great history of artists and exhibitions, but the actual opening has been postponed due to 2021 COVID lockdown. Not that you would have known that a lockdown was going to was imminent, but there has been a pandemic swirling around us for a while. So I guess the obvious question to start with is, what was your motivation to open a gallery in these times right now? Well, if 2020 taught us anything, it's to seize opportunities. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I had so much travel planned for 2020, 2021 and beyond, and it's all just gone out the window. Um, any sort of five-year, 10-year plan I had for my career, again, out the window. And I always told myself um, after working for two phenomenal galleries that it was the right fit. I'd know I wanted to be an art dealer for the rest of my life. I wanted to support artists. And the, the big catalyst for me would always be if the right artist came along. And after having lived through 2020, um, the, the right artist came along. It was just it was just that gut feeling that you have, which only happens so often in your life, and I just had to run with it. And what does that mean, the right artist came along? You met, you saw, it's, it's Thea Amanara Perkins? Yes, yes, Thea Amanara Perkins. So you met, you saw her work, um, I assume she wasn't represented, and then you just thought, I'm going to do it? Well, it was, um, it was quite funny because I had come across her work um, in 2019. She was sharing a studio mm-hmm. space with Tony Albert and I, I walked into Tony's studio and I said, whose work is that? It's clearly not yours. And so he introduced me to Thea and Thea and I developed a friendship over the years and uh, an incredible opportunity came up for Thea and I said, you should take this. And... From there, we just sort of started talking about what her career would look like and it almost became like a mentorship. And so from there, it kind of, she just turned around and said, why don't you represent me? And then from there, that's when I thought, well, this is the moment. This is the, the gut feeling. This is, this is it. And from there, we've just, we've run with it. 
Well, that's fantastic. Let's come back to Thea a bit later in the conversation, but maybe we just start a bit further back with you. What was your career trajectory to get to the point where you knew you wanted to open an art gallery? Uh, Well, I've got quite a funny story. I I don't come from a particularly arty background. Uh, A trip to the art gallery was um, a once in a very uh, (laughs) long period in between. And um, I was with some friends. Um, I'm from Queensland, from Brisbane, and we thought it would be a great idea to go to the art gallery. And it was just one of those experiences that, that changed our life. And I knew that I wanted to be more involved with the arts after visiting Queensland Art Gallery. And I was studying science at the time, pre-med, and I thought um, I can chuck in some um, arts electives if I wanted to. So I did some art history, and from the first lecture in the first year art history I was absolutely hooked I was with Sally Dr Sally Butler and she just opened my eyes to what art was what it could be what it what it has been and that first lesson as well uh, Dr Campbell Gray who is the director of the UQ Art Museum he came into the class and said "We're, we're we're always looking for volunteers and so I took it upon myself to email him and I said, I'd love to volunteer at the museum and I ended up having a meeting with him and walking out with an actual job. So it just came this really natural fit for me. Like the, these people that I was working with were incredible and they wanted to share their knowledge with students. And I ended up working um, at the UQ Art Museum for four years. And in that time, I uh, dropped my uh, science degree <laughs> and took on an arts degree full time. And um, just all these opportunities just kept on coming up for me and it just felt right from the beginning. And after finishing my honours uh, at UQ, um, Philip Bacon had a job uh, being offered. He's a very prominent art dealer up in Brisbane. And I went in, had a meeting and got the job and it just felt like a really natural fit. Lots of fortuitous things in there. I too have had the privilege of working with Cam Gray, Dr. Campbell Gray, and found it such a um, expansive experience. His approach to understanding art and understanding um, the making of art and the presentation and interpretation of art was extraordinary. So you've been mentored by, you know, a terrific person in a fantastic institution. It is. It is. UQ Art Museum is a phenomenal institution they Mm. absolutely understand that their mission is not just to support artists but also students and so they've got uh, like a collection study room where you can actually go in and get artworks out and and study them properly it's completely built into the curriculum at uh, the University of Queensland where you have students going in to use the work it's just it's an incredible experience and I was very spoiled because not every art history program is like that But you obviously had the enthusiasm and the commitment, which um, which they were also drawn to, I imagine. Absolutely. Do you remember? Do you remember the show or the work that it was that you saw at um, Queensland Art Gallery that sort of turned your life around? I guess it was the Impressionism and Realism exhibition, uh, the collection from the Met, which is quite funny because they've got another show at the museum at the moment, which is borrowed from the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. And then Philip Bacon is has a fantastic um, gallery, stable of artists, works with a lot of artists' estates. So he does have a lot of Australian art history 
within his gallery. So you've gone from working with art historical, being inspired by art historical exhibitions and works, and then with Philip. When was the step towards or, or embracing contemporary art? I will never forget my first art history tutorial. I walked in and the lecturer, she said, who likes contemporary art? And I said, I don't. I don't like this whole open to interpretation thing. I like clear cut decisions. And this is back when I was very much still a science student. So I wanted, I wanted results and I wanted um, clear cut sort of data. And it was art, contemporary art really, that brought me into this whole idea of like ideas, like the idea, like you can present something and it has multiple ter- interpretations. It's conversations with artists and curators that really, really got me interested. And mm-hmm. it was quite funny going from that very uh, interpretive, like non-interpretive background into a very interpretive. Uh, it's it's quite interesting. And it's quite it was quite good working with for Philip because he has this business model where he does have his stock room, which is very historical. He's got his Tom Roberts and his Albert Namajiras, but he has an amazing program of exhibiting living artists who I had the privilege of talking to every day. And they were blue chip at the forefront in all these museum collections at the, the highest end of the Australian art sphere. And I had the privilege of having the, the discussions with them every day about their work. And then at some stage you stepped from Brisbane into Sydney and probably into a quite a different art scene as well. What what was the catalyst for that move? The catalyst for that move was um, Philip, Philip Bacon and Lachlan Henderson, the manager, they both said, you need to get out of this town. You are much bigger than this and there's a whole art world out there we want you to experience. And so I applied for a job with Sullivan and Strumpf, and, which is an amazing, amazing contemporary art gallery in Sydney, and got the job. And so made the move down to Sydney and worked for them, and it was a very, very different gallery. It's at the forefront of cutting-edge contemporary art, and it's just after a week of working there, it just completely opened my eyes to like a different end of the contemporary art spectrum. It's just completely different. They do have incredible energy and um, they they have an incredible expansive program as well, which is not just exhibiting artists within the gallery space but their whole online pro- program, particularly ramped up uh, during COVID. So that would, have, that would have probably stood you in very good stead given the scenario that we're in now. Two very, very different styles of art gallery. Philip Bacon, uh, Philip Bacon Gallery is very old school, uh, which it's it's a proven model. He he is probably he is probably the most successful gallery uh, owner in the country. And Sullivan Strump, very other end, like they're just very cutting edge. They're using technology. They're going to art fairs. They are doing a lot more with social media. They're um, engaging with curators and writers to write content, create content. So just two very different styles, but are both doing exceedingly well. And I think you can say that about. A lot of commercial galleries, Brisbane or Sydney, that each gallery has its own profile, has its own approach, and a lot of that is determined by the directors, the owners' aesthetic, where that comes from, and then the way they engage with with their audiences. So what is it that you seek in an artwork and how would you describe your aesthetic, perhaps generally, and then how you hone that for your own business? 
I mean, I wouldn't say I have a criteria, but I do look for works that are conceptually compelling, uh, historically relevant. Um, aesthetics do play into it. The, especially for a lot of people, they need to be able to live with the work. And so it doesn't need to be necessarily a beautiful picture or a beautiful painting, but it does need to have some sort of aesthetic recognition. Like you need to be able to look at a work and go, that is a work by Jordan as, you know, that is a work by Joan Ross. That is a work by Thea Perkins. And so it's, it's a collective, it's, it's a whole bunch of things for me that sort of manifest in the work and also the artist. I have to be able to really, want to support the artist. Like I've got to be able to not so much be friends with the artist, but really believe in what they're doing, the, the ideas that they have and the, the message that they want to get out there through their work. Mm-hmm. And you've just mentioned a couple of the artists that you're representing. Mm-hmm. So Thea Amanara Perkins, who whose career certainly is on the rise. She's been in the Archibald for the past, is it three years? This is her third time, yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Anna Natsia, National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Indigenous Art Awards Correct. this year, yep. finalist. Um, James Tyler, uh, whose work, I remember first seeing his work at Stills Gallery before it closed uh, so several years ago and being so struck by it mm. and that extraordinary um, suite of works that he has in or had in the National this year at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. And now the wonderful uh, Joan Ross, who has this fantastic hoarding work uh, on the building site for the new um, pavilion at the Art Gallery of New South Wales, the Sydney Modern Building. So there are some interesting conversations that those artists are having, you know, within their own work, but I can also see between themselves, which are retelling stories from a different cultural perspective, from a contemporary perspective, but but reaching back into Australia's um, both ancient and uh, colonial histories. Is that is that something that it, you're particularly drawn to? Yes, they all managed to have a narrative around what it is to be Australian and the history around it. So someone like Joan Ross, she has an amazing ability to reach back into the past and bring things forward to make us really reconsider them. It's And then... Obviously, she's got that amazing um, aesthetic where she brings in the fluoro. Like you always know it's a Joan Ross work, not just because the collage element, but she's got that amazing use of fluoro, which you just don't see anywhere else. Uh, hi, like, Viz. Hi, Viz. Hi, Viz. Hi, Viz rules. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All about safety. Safety first. Uh, and then, yeah, you have someone like Thea Anamara Perkins, who is one of the only paint, like Indigenous First Nations painters, and she's amazing ability to depict country and authentic representations of her family and friends and it's just there's something about her paintings you can't help but just be completely drawn into them it's her way of capturing light is it's it's very akin to the impressionists back back through like Heidelberg and that tradition where they had this amazing ability to capture light that Europeans just couldn't like you have to be an Australian to understand that that sense of light and she does that from a First Nations perspective. It's unlike anything I've seen before. And that's why when I first saw her work, I was like, I need to know more about this artist. And then it was just luckily that she was actually standing there. <laughs> uh, but all of the artists have this amazing ability to tell stories. Like Jordan Azkune, it's not so much about place or time. He, his work talks to the sensibility of growing up queer in a very, very religious household. 
And that's something that I identified with. Well, not really that, not that religious, but still it's, it's there, there are these amazing stories in all of the works, which while they're presented quite beautifully, there's, there's something beyond that that I really enjoy. I do find Thea's work incredibly compelling and I guess colour is light and she has a beautiful tonal palette that um, that draws you in and it, it is a, there's a beautiful almost um, intimacy that she gets across in her work. Yes, a lot of that intimacy lends from the fact that the family portraits, that's her source material. And mm-hmm. one of the amazing projects that we're working on was with the Australian and she was on the cover of Wish magazine. Oh, yes, and that was a terrific article. They were, we were having this back and forth conversation between the Australian and Thea, and they were asking for images of the family. And they actually had all of this archival material of her family that she had never seen before, which was just because she just, just does come from such a prominent family. But the whole family had never seen these images that the Australian had in their archive. There was an image of Thea with her grandfather and her mother with Thea as a baby that no one had seen before. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. So what do, you, what do you think is one of the most important uh, factors in the gallerist-artist relationship? Trust. Absolutely trust. Mm-hmm. It's just from the get-go you need to be very upfront with how the relationship will work because it is a relationship. And at any time either person could walk away but no one wants that and so you have to maintain the relationship just open communication, have everything understood because it is, it is a very, it's, it's hard to articulate. It's the art world, it's especially commercial galleries, it's very unlike a lot of other industries where it's, you need to have business acumen, but it's also based on creativity and you mm-hmm. cannot stifle that creativity for the business side of it and you cannot stifle the business side of it for the creativity. There's just, mm-hmm. you've got to have this, symbiotic relationship that just works mm-hmm. otherwise it won't work mm-hmm. and I guess it's also at some point it's it's dynamic besides the obvious commercial aspirations to to make you know the business work what do you think artists are seeking from their galleries they what want people they, they want people to see their work and that was mm-hmm. one of the big things for me was finding a space in which artists wanted to show their work they want people to and see you found it. They want a people fabulous. to experience. Thank you very much. Yeah. I, I you found a fabulous space. It was all. It was very serendipitous. It just the. It had been a gallery space before, but I took it and developed it into what it is now. And it was just. It was just all. All of these conversations and all of these things just sort of melded into the gallery manifesting. And what I told and repeatedly tell to all the artists is that the gallery is very much like a white cube space and I treat it like my own practice and what I want the artists to take that space and elevate their work through the exhibition. There'll be always this, this components of the exhibition that they can sell and we can commercialise, but at the end of the day, we want to exhibit their work in the best possible way. And all of the artists are really excited by that. Like there's an exhibition later in the year where we're going to change the wall colours and the lighting, um, it's just, yeah, it's, there's a lot of exciting projects which I can't talk about just yet because they're still infancy. No, that's all right. But there, there's some big ambitious things happening in the gallery and we're just hoping that we'll have the audience to see them. Oh, yes, absolutely. Just do you want to describe the building and describe its history as well? Uh, so it is a church hall. So 
the church hall is next door to the Greek Orthodox Church on South Dowling Street. Uh, it was built in the 1920s, and for a Greek building, it is so unsymmetrical, it's not funny. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's a really beautiful building. The facade is, uh, the facade and, the, and the, one of the sides of the building are heritage listed. So there are a lot of issues in what we could do and can't do, what we can paint, what we can't paint, what we could build on, what we could drill into. Um, but the, the Greek church have been absolutely fantastic to deal with. They've just said, you know what, we just want you in there. We want a gallery in there. It's just it's the right thing for the building. And so it's, it's a really fun space. When you walk in, it's this beautiful white cube presented with these beautiful windows, and then you go beyond that into the stock room and the existing church hall stage is still there, which we've got for um, the storage of all the artworks, which is really beautiful. So you walk up into this elevated platform where all the artworks are. It has been a gallery space in the past. So most people in the art world in Sydney would know it as Kudos Gallery. Yes, the student-run space for UNSW. And Mm -hmm. it's been quite interesting. There's So Joan Ross, who I represent, she actually exhibited here as part of her um, her studies, which was great. And there's another artist that I'm talking to who's really interested in coming back to do a show purely because they exhibited here and have so many fond memories of Mm. exhibiting. But it's a completely yes, different space now. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. That's terrific. So I guess you've got this beautiful physical space, which unfortunately is closed because of lockdown. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of galleries, um, you would have embraced an online approach. You probably would have had an online approach, quite a strong online approach before as part of your um, business plan. But how how can you create a scenario for audiences and your artists where the audience, new audiences can connect with the work. How do you do that in a, in a COVID time and online? It's all about engagement. It's all about the content. Yeah. So it's working with the artists to see how they want their work presented. So it's, it's going that one step beyond exhibition and is there a way that we can show the work to people? I mean, the internet always existed before COVID and we were already planning to do these sorts of things because people in Brisbane can't get down, people in Melbourne can't get down, people in London have no, unless they're here on holiday or coming for business, they're not going to come see this exhibition. So it's all about presenting the work in a way that's authentic and that the artist is comfortable with. And so there's a lot of discussion around every exhibition, how we want to present it, what kind of content can we create around this and how best do we get that out there so luckily we've got a lot of pr happening at the moment there's a lot of press who are really interested in the gallery and also the exhibitions that are on at the moment um the lot of the artists are in exhibitions outside of the gallery which is also generating a lot of press for us and also it's just letting the artists have that ability to do something online so it's all about promoting content on social media and also just getting it on the website and and getting people to look at it. It's just about driving people to look at the work, look at the actual content, look at the actual artworks. And are people curious? Oh, very. <laughs> it's um it's really interesting being 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 a millennial and being in charge of the the social media. That's the, the the amount of people who are responsive to content that we do put online, but also who who want to comment and also um, slide into DMs and have more questions. And it's it's actually been really fascinating that people will happily buy things through
through Instagram. Like they will see an image of something and yep. then respond to it and go in there. It's like, how much is it? How do I get it? It's like, give me yeah, your email I'm, address. I'm, I'll write an invoice. I'm guilty of that. But that actually comes from really a nuanced understanding of artworks because it, you sort of look through the digital flatness of an image because you have a sense of scale or medium or texture it's, or something It's not like a new that. phenomenon. I mean, prior to, to COVID, people were still buying things from an email, from a, a PDF or a JPEG attached to an email. What was really interesting during the last lockdown, though, was it took about three weeks to a month before people really started either getting too bored looking at blank walls but also just having the confidence again to buy things online. And I'm talking about new people, people you'd never heard of before just sort of sending an email to the general email or sending an Instagram direct message. And it was a lot of paintings and 3D objects because you could get that sense of what the work looked like from that. I mean, it's a lot harder with a work on paper, um, some of the more like ceramics. But it was very interesting to see that they were very – they came around to the idea of putting a bet on an artist they hadn't met before, seen before, seen the work, familiar with the work, but also it was that very, like it was paintings, it was sculpture, and then it slowly became into sort of photography and to works on paper and really the whole art market opened up after that. And then when the lockdown lifted, you just had this explosion of people coming into galleries. I remember like the first couple of weeks going back to working in the actual physical gallery I had never seen so many people in a gallery space in my entire life, like in my entire working career. Like you just had not seen that many people making the journey out to a commercial gallery and and, and looking at art and experiencing it. Mm, that's fantastic. But that's not that that isn't just boredom or wanting to fill a wall. People are obviously looking mm. for something else in an artwork. And what do you think people were looking at that was that was important? What what was art? for people during COVID. Storytelling, absolutely storytelling. That was every every artwork purchase had a personal connection. It had uh, some kind of something pulling them into it beyond aesthetics. It was definitely storytelling. And what do you think the role of art has in a time like this beyond storytelling? Is it optimism? Is it hope? Is it storytelling but points of reflection? It's a bit of everything, Fiona. <laughs> mm. I, I, I can't make a generalisation. I can't. I, there, there were some people who it was about optimism. It was a distraction. It was taking them away from their situation. Uh, mm. For others, it was purely about collecting. So do you think it's continued on, this sort of freneticism, this desire to own and to enjoy art in a more considered way? Has it, has it continued or has it baited somewhat? I think, it's, I think it's human nature to collect. Everyone collects something. It could be stamps, it could be coins, it, shoes, it could be fashion, it can be some people I, I know collect memories because they love to travel so much. Everyone collects something. And sometimes it's just about shifting that perception of artworks can be more than decorative things and they can be collected and it's, Quite often you have that conversation with someone, oh, I don't have the room for it. And I was like, well, that's the difference between a collector and a decorator. It's yes. moving beyond that perception of art is only supposed to be displayed. That's not always the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Sydney art scene at the moment you think is healthy? It's healthy. It's, um, if anything, by like, online activity that I've had, if that's an indication, it's doing quite well. People are happy mm. to 
continue collecting. It's it's a very optimistic, it's very, it's a bright future, I, I think. And a lot of the artists are really, really excited and I'm really excited. We've got some big things planned, some really big projects which are keeping me very busy during lockdown and I'm really looking forward to the future. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, we're thrilled to have a new gallery on the block. I think it's really exciting and it does um, exude an optimism, which is which I think we all need looking forward. So congratulations on your new venture, Nick. And I really look forward to seeing more of your artist's work and these big things that you've got planned when we can get out and about again. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. Great to have such optimism in these COVID times. May the new gallery continue well. You can find the links for Nicholas and his gallery on our show notes. And for information on other episodes, go to our Instagram page, Fine Art Fiona. Conversations on the Fine Art Fiona podcast are created by Fiona McIntosh and produced by Simon Grant. Thanks so much for listening. Listener.